Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast today. My guest is a Swedish marathon and ultra runner who at the age of 20 decided to trade urban life for a hut in the forests of northern Sweden. The ensuing years of living as a hermit inspired their best-selling non-fiction book, The Runner, along with the newly published wilderness handbook, Under the Open Skies, a practical guide for living close to nature. They're a frequent lecturer at various organisations and companies and now live with their partner and three children, I believe, close to where they first survived off-grid. So welcome, um, and I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you for having me. So my name is Marcus Torgeby and I'm still living up north in Sweden and I'm still running every day. So, so yeah, I, I, live, I, I have lived up here for almost 25 years. And I think I will continue that kind of life that I have always lived up here. I like it. It's it's calm and close to nature. So, yeah. Uh, I really appreciate you giving your time today, Marcus. And I think so much, well, hopefully what we can talk about and from reading your book, The Runner, really chimes with some of the things that I've been discussing with other guests in terms of doing with less and also the benefits of living in closer harmony with the with the natural world um so i i and i'm <laughs> i'm very envious of where you live having seen a few photos and things on instagram so um i i, I don't blame you for wanting to stay there <laughs> definitely <laughs> but can we just um for those who aren't familiar with you or don't know your story could i take you back to kind of your your earlier childhood what was family life for you growing up uh, I was born and raised on, on an island outside uh, Gothenburg on the west coast of Sweden. So, so I live with my three younger siblings mm-hmm. and I live close to my cousins and, you know, it was a very safe area where I grew up. You know, I knew everybody and it was happy life. Um, but then when I was around 10, my mother became very, very ill uh, and, uh, she had the MS, multiple sclerosis, mm. and she became really, really ill. So it was like a big change back home. And after that, it, oh, life became a little bit more difficult, uh, of course, because, you know, she was very, very ill. And uh, yeah, so it was a good start in life. But from 10 to, to 25, it was quite tough. Uh, so then I found uh, my running and when I run, you know, everything was easy. So I just did that a lot because when I did that, it was no worry about anything. No, no thoughts about my mother or, yeah. So, so I just did that very, very much. Um, I can imagine yeah. that's, uh, I mean, that's a massive weight on the shoulders of someone so young when you know you've had a happy family life and then your mother becoming sick like that and was it pretty much kind of at the same time as your mother was becoming ill is was that the first time that you'd really started running at that point yeah I was uh, nine years old when my mother had like the first, uh, what you say, uh, signs of the, the illness. Mm-hmm. And then she become really, really ill 
when I was around 11, also wheelchair and me and my sibling was uh, feeding her and washer and uh, things like that. So and then I start running more seriously when I was 15, 16. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and did you always when when you started running? Did you realize that it was something that you were good at, or you were just you were just putting on your trainers and going out? <laughs> yeah, you know I. I, I yeah, I run like a, just a local competition when I was uh, 12 years old and I had never run before, but it was like uh, uh, 10K and, and uh, when I crossed the finish line, it was uh, in 38 minutes. So I realized maybe this is the thing because I just like the feeling, you know, so, so I, I had it in me. But back then when I was 12 years old, I didn't do anything about it, mm-hmm. but I just had it in my body i know that maybe running is my thing so so then when i start uh, quit um what you say um ninth grade as in sweden yeah. we call it the hugstorje so yeah and i go to to a new school in town then i start to 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 to, to train running in, in with the club in, in Gothenburg and then I was like 16 years old so I start running more seriously when I was 16 and just after two weeks I run my first big competition so the nationals in Sweden and uh, so just immediately I was just into it and I just loved it because I felt that this is the thing for me the, the feeling that it was just uh, me and my legs. I, I like that, you know. It was um, I couldn't hide uh, about uh, what was you say. You know, in beginning, I played like football and ice hockey, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the team uh, sports. It was nothing for me. I liked the the, the loneliness of, of running. So when I found that, I just was happy. I can completely empathize with that <laughs> that that feeling of um self-sufficiency I guess that yeah. you get with yeah. running that you are just supporting yourself and and yeah. everything and it, it, you need yeah. is and with it's you. up to, to to me to to do it I cannot hide about uh, behind someone else it's just me and my legs and my heart and I like that uh, that that uh, feeling you know and at that point did you have a coach and you you were obviously competing um against yeah. others at that stage yeah. yeah so so when i start to to train with the i start to train with the club in gothenburg like a big swedish uh, oh, uh, track and field club uh, one of the biggest so i was introduced for for a trainer and immediately i felt that this is the guy because he was very focused and mm-hmm. uh, he trained a lot of good runners in sweden and i was the youngest also so it was um, a good environment for me to, to train in and uh, to just yeah have a lot of good friends and uh, a very focused trainer so, so in the beginning it was just awesome i really enjoy it because it was like a big worry back home because my mother was so ill and we didn't know how long will she live. And, but when I trained, it was a little bit uh, freedom inside. So I tried to, yeah, it was, um, so I did that a lot because when I did it, it, it felt good. So, yeah. Do you think- and also so to, to, to have like a trainer to that tell you what to do when you are a little bit young and a little bit lost in the head it can feel really really good so yeah yeah someone's saying well you need to do this this day of the week and run it this fast and it gives you some I guess sort of stability I guess in a way and direction um yeah yeah, I can I can understand that absolutely but then um from my understanding of, of reading your book did that that training and um, kind of your relationship with running, I guess, did that become more kind of toxic? Is that the right yeah. word? Um, so could you just talk me through that, if you don't mind? You know, for me, it was easy to run. But uh, I, I remember the first competition uh, where my mother are going to see me run. Yeah, so she was so ill, but she said in the... Um, 
uh, what would you say in the corner where I go to I go to run 1500 meters mm-hmm. indoors and my mother and my father were there and uh, my mother sat in, in the wheelchair and, and before the start my trainer came to me and he told me Marcus it's just one guy that can be number one today and it's you and, and you know this was the biggest competition in Sweden and when mm-hmm. he told me that I felt of course I can win but I, I don't know I go to try my best and, and when I start running it felt really really good and uh, one lap to go I, I kicked and I, I crossed the finish line as number one and then when I stopped everybody else behind me they continue <laughs> because I just did like a big mistake I kicked too early so, so it was just another lap to go oh, uh, so, yeah. so it was a little bit a uh, disappointment for me of course uh, and my trainer afterwards he was really really angry at me because his ambition was that I want to win and when I didn't do that he was so frustrated mm-hmm. and, and when I felt my trainer's frustration something happens in my head because then I realized that his ambition of me are much bigger than my own so, so after that you know experience it was tough to compete because I felt just like a big anxiety inside because mm-hmm. uh, so he um, yeah, I, my trainer's uh, ambitions, I just felt them that they were just too high and too big for me. And, uh, you know, I, and I had like big ambitions for myself, but my trainers even bigger. So, yeah, after that experience, it was very, very tough. And that continued maybe two, three years. Now and then I, I compete, it was okay. And then, but most of the time it was, um, no, I trained good, and but in competition, not so good. And it was like a big frustration for me, but even more for my trainer. So, so it was, I don't know, the, the spiral. So it, it just become tougher and tougher to compete. And I didn't know what is what. I, I didn't know that the problem I have is in the head. Mm-hmm. You know, I was too young. And I didn't talk to anybody. It was just me. So, yeah. That's really interesting that it was a kind of, that sort of performance anxiety that was actually, it, it was when you were competing that that was showing rather than it, it wasn't kind of so much a <clears throat> a physiological thing in training and things, but just it, it's interesting how much the mind can, can affect yeah. the body and, and yeah. hinder that performance. And that must have been... Yeah a lot thinking like you know the age that you were and the ambitions were that you've got to be the best and then anything else is not okay that's that's yeah. a really big deal and how how did that feel when kind of did that affect how you felt about running in itself at that point as well yeah in some way because back then my running so my only ambition was to, to try to run as fast as possible why train if you don't go to win you know, mm. that was my ambition and that was my trainer's ambition and the the, the, the friends I had around me, that it was just the, the main focus to, to compete and to be number one. And then when I realized that I cannot handle this, it was, um, it was a little bit tough because then I felt a little bit lost because I still loved to run, but I had no direction, you know, mm. uh, so... But, you, you know, we, we train as a intervals every, every day. So with a lot of lexit, the uh, exit, as so left, the, um, what do you say? Uh, like, um, lactic acid. In lactic blood, acid, so, so. Yeah. 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 And when you train like that, you become very um, stiff in the legs. Yeah. And when you train like that every day, and then you have like two hours, one way to the training. So it was long days for me. I trained before school. And then I trained off to school and then I took the, the ferry and the bus and then walk maybe five kilometers. So, so I had like, it was very long days for me. And at the same time, my mother was also really, really bad. And my father works a lot. And in, in, in the night, if my mother wants to, to change the direction with the head, she, she couldn't do it. So then he, he just 
Marcus, you must help me with the heads. So, you know, when you do that four times every night, you become really, really tired. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, the, the surroundings around me was not just happy. It was a little bit too tough and the training was also too tough, you know. So, and when you train like that and, and you just feel that heavy feeling in the legs. I, I remember one day when I walk in the stairs in the school, I, it just... A thought came in my head that uh, told me, Marcus, now you have become sick. You have so the same disease that your mother have. You have, you know. Okay. And when, when that thought came in, into my head, it was just too much anxiety. Because now, when I look back, I can see that it was just too much. So I was just stressed, but you know, back then I didn't realize. So I thought that, okay, I'm going to be sick as my mother. So, so it was just like a mental breakdown. And then when I trained really, really hard, it was okay in the head for a short of time. But then when the training was over, then all the thoughts just mm -hmm. like, a, like a wheel just in, in the head. So it was a little bit tough. I had a lot of, a lot, a lot of anxiety and it was tough to... When I run, it was okay, but the 23 hours, uh, as what you say, if I ran two hours every day or three, I saw 20 hour, 21 hours a day were, I saw it was tough in the head and, and uh, I didn't know what to do. So it was, uh, yeah, I had no direction and uh, it was really, really tough. And then, you know, my trainer told me, Marcus, we're going to try to see if you can, uh, what you say, uh, run uh, the European Championship. Mm -hmm. And then you, you must do like, a, you cannot just do it. You must perform. You must run in a certain time. Uh, and I was very close to that. Uh, maybe I'm going to run three seconds faster. Uh, so, and, and it, 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 yeah. And that I had in me. Uh, and when, um, the championship come closer. Uh, my, my trainer thought that, okay, Marcus, we're going to like a, a high altitude training camp in Austria. Maybe then the shape will come. So we, we took the cars to Austria and stayed there a couple of weeks and trained, trained really, really hard. And after maybe two weeks, my, my right foot just collapsed, you know, oh so it just become flat. In, and it was like a big injury. And then I thought, well, I told my trainer that it's something wrong with my foot, you know. And then he just looked at me and told me, Marcus, it's no problem with your foot. It's the head that you have problem with. And then he just lost it. And when you are like 200, also 2,000 kilometers away from home with a trainer that are really, really angry and just screaming and throw things around him. So it was a little bit tough. So, so when I come back home from that experience, I just realized I must do something else. So I must find my own way. And that was one of the big reasons why I took the decision to just leave everything and to just bring my backpack and sleeping bag and an axe and just leave for the forest because I had no direction and I had so much anxiety. And, you know, my tongue, become like twice the, the size it was really really thick because I was just too stressed and now when I talk about this you know it's 25 years ago I can see it with some different eyes but back then oh it was no good I just thought that okay I must put myself in a situation where it's just me close to my basic needs if I do that maybe I'll find a way and if I don't I will die and that's okay so, yeah. It, it sounds, I mean, it must have been terrifying because yeah, it sounds it like you just kind of pushed, everything was pushing you from every yeah. way. And the thing that would have been your escape, the running, yeah. the, your coach's solution was to make you do more of it, which was just yes. adding to that, to that stress yes. bucket. And I guess yes. now, um, you know, coaches are a lot more holistic and thinking yeah, about, no. oh, if you've got that life stress and that life stress, then actually that is contributing to overall stress and we need to adapt to your training. And I mean, 
it just to also the fact that you were kind of becoming physically ill with it and the cortisone in your body that must have been producing yeah. all of those responses i i can imagine it really must yeah. have felt like you were going to die like yeah you know it was hard to sleep you know i had so many it was like a, a lighting in in the head you know so, so it was really hard to find the the rest, you know, it was just, I had like a, the heart always. Oh. Yeah, that like sort of a, um, the fight or flight kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I just thought, okay, I must find a way. And uh, I just thought that maybe the forest can help me with that. You know, I am born and raised on an island. We had no trees on the island, but I thought maybe the forest. So, so I just took the train up north in Sweden to Järpen. It's close to the Norwegian border. And then when the train stopped, I just had my backpack and sleeping bag. In. And then I walked for maybe four hours out in the forest. And then I find like an opening in the forest. And then I just felt that this is the place. So I built myself like a base camp. Uh, and then I stayed there for four years, four and a half years. It was close to, to water and then it was a lot of like dead trees mm -hmm. and the dead trees you can have to put on, on the fire. So, yeah. I mean, and that's, it, um, I would have said that that is a kind of a very brave decision still, but it sounds like it was actually kind of, the only decision yeah. for you <laughs> in, yeah. in your head as well as I said I was I was thinking before this interview kind of oh well what it's quite an extreme reaction still to go and to go and do that but it sounds like but the way that you talk you know, about it had me, to be done yeah. no but for me it was not it was mm -hmm. just the only way um, you know uh, I had like two directions one was to die <laughs> and one was to find some kind of life and uh, you know so I chose that road or path and, and what then, was uh, um, so what was that like first night like or first kind of week when you were there what was that like to be just I was, uh, alone <laughs> it, yeah it was wonderful because in the beginning it was uh, I had a lot of things to do I went to build my camp and to build my uh, bed and uh, you know to prepare for the winter because in Sweden, in Jämtland, where I live, in the winter, it's around between minus 35 to 45 minus degrees in the winter time. So when you, when you pee in the winter time, before the pee hits the ground, it's freezed. So, so you know, <laughs> so you, you must be prepared because if you don't, you will die. So, for, for, yeah, so then you must put some time into that. So to prepare yourself, and so I did that. But but so maybe the first month was uh, was perfect. But then it became a little bit tough because when the camp was fixed, then I become you know really really restless mm. because I had nothing to do, and that was a, like a a big struggle for me to find a way around that. And it took me maybe three months to find a way around the, the restless feeling I had inside me all the time. I just put myself on a tree stump. I find a tree stump maybe uh, 30 minutes of walking from, from the, the teepee. And uh, I set myself on tree stump. And in the beginning, just one hour every day. And then after two weeks, three hours, and then four hours, and then five hours every day on that tree stump. And then four months later, then it was like a big relief inside of me because then I was able to sit on the tree stump and, and, and still feel that life is okay. So yeah, then I left the tree stump, you know. If you have a restless feeling inside, if you're going to take that away you cannot do a lot of things you must you cannot do anything and then you will fight that and then you do that then you will become a little bit more free inside and yeah so I did that but you know I just had like a, I didn't talk to anybody so I just tried and then I find a way around it 
and then also I was really afraid of the dark and that also I was what you say that I put a lot of energy into to find a way around that and that was also really really tough to just be by myself out in the forest and to be afraid you know every night I just felt it it came closer the darkness and you know my head become big <laughs> I was afraid of you know I don't know people with knives or bears or, and things like that animals and you know like a mental uh, uh, it was just in the head, but you know, when you have a problem in the head, it's really, really tough because it's easier to find solutions when you have a problem in the in the body. Then you just rest or do some stretching. But when you have problems in the head, it's much tougher because it takes much more time to find solutions, you know. So and I find a way around the the thing that I had about the darkness. I just realized, Marcus, you are afraid of the darkness and that's okay. And when I let that feeling inside of me, then I become free. I just accept it. So I think to accept things that we have problems with is the first you know, step to, to find freedom. I don't know. But yeah. you know, I didn't talk to anybody. I just, it was just me and just tried. <laughs> and, that's amazing. So kind of the, the the kind of putting a name to it and actually literally sitting with those fears, whether it was fear of your your mind or the darkness around you, you you really did just sit and face them. Yeah. Um not well, not literally running <laughs> running away from them, I guess. Um you, you were kind of running towards them, I yes. suppose, would be a way. It was like yeah. Swimming in a pool of anxiety and problems, and, and I just stayed there for a couple of months, and then you know, then it was you know I just realized that uh, there are a lot of things in life that I will not, so I will not be able to control it. So mm. I must just leave that. I'm going to try. I must focus on the thing that I can, uh, you know, control. So I put my focus in that. You know, and uh, and when you live close to to nature, you realize that you know life is circular. So in the winter time, it's it's cold, you know, but then the spring and the summer will come and it will become warmer. And it's the same in the head. Sometimes it's a little bit tough, <laughs> and that's okay. Just continue because maybe in some months it will be okay. Yeah. So don't give up, you know. Just it's that continue. thing of um, this too shall pass, right? Yeah, so it, yeah. It will I pass think so. And maybe, you know, my whole family have been like fishermen, like hardcore ones. So they, they, they were outside Scotland and, and Iceland. And, you know, and when I talked to my grandfather, so it was obvious. So he just had like a, what do you say? Like a calm feeling around him. Uh, and I think that teaches me something. Mm -hmm. So he realized that I can never control the, the sea, you know, but I can have uh, my, my boat can be okay and I can have like fuel in the tank and, you know, and that I can control. So I'm focusing in that. And the other thing is you must just find a way to cope with in the head and just, just leave it. I don't mm -hmm. think life. So the, the, the most important things in life is not the answers. I think it's more to, to also ask yourself the questions, you know. I think that is more important, you know. That's that's really interesting. So that idea of what ask myself, what can I control, rather than always thinking, what is it that I can't control? What are all these yeah. things around yeah. me? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. really good you advice, to, I think. Yeah to fix your own garden, you know, yeah. so, so I think it's a, I try to live like that and I try to still live like that. Now we still live up north in Sweden, so quite close to the, the basics. Now we have like electricity, but mm -hmm. until 2014, no electricity and no water inside. And, and of course, it's a price to, to, to pay and sometimes it's really tough. But you also realize that 
as of how much things do I need to live uh, like a good life, a meaningful life. I try to, to focusing on that as a meaning instead of things. Absolutely. Know? And what did life actually, so in those four years where you were by yourself, after you'd kind of had that period of sitting on the tree stump for quite a lot of time, what did your days look like after that? How? What was your routine? Uh, so in the beginning I was like injured, but then when my my body healed, I start to run again. I realized that I will not be the best, but I love to run. So, so I, I run every day, and then I one winter I took my skis and did like a really really long like a ski tour. I, I skied one thousand three hundred kilometers wow. as a, up north to to the northern part of Finland. So you know, and then I just. If it was cold, when I wake up in the morning, I start a fire and eat my porridge, and then I took the, the skis on and maybe skis for one, one hour, and you know, ah, I did a lot of physical things, so chopped the woods and uh, you know, just just to to cook the, the food took some time, and I I really enjoyed it because it was like a a thing to to do every day. You know, to start the fire and to melt the snow and then to 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 do cook the, the food and then after maybe in the afternoon if I had go for a run or something I I, I try to warm some water and and wash myself and that I did every day so, so it was a lot of things that I did every day you know. It's interesting. And in, with the time, of course, it's a little bit tough. So mm-hmm. then you must just try to survive. And uh, it's a good feeling to be close to that because it's like a big motivation inside of, of me. Because, you know, yeah, today is really, really cold. My, my toes are white because I'm freezing so much. And if I don't start a fire, the toes will fall off. And then I start a fire and life is perfect, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, yeah, I yeah. guess when you strip, when you strip so everything life, away, wearing black and white, yeah, and to live a black and white life is wonderful. And now I don't live a black and white life because now we have like electricity, and and I can see it, it's all it's a little bit tougher in many ways because it is um, to take decisions is a little bit harder. But when life is black and white, it's easy to see what the right direction is. Okay, you are freezing. Start a fire. You are hungry. Eat uh, oh, things like that. You you take the skis over the like a big lake, and the, the lake you know uh, open up, and you will fall if if I don't try to. As uh, so what you say, if I um, oh, it's a little bit hard to to explain. But but if you ski over the ice and the the, the ice open up and you fell if fell, fell in in the water, cold water, if you cannot pull yourself up, you will die. So, so then you have a lot of energy and then you try to, to survive and then you do that and then you come back home and start a fire and try to dry the, the wet clothes and you do that and you know. So, so I felt very rich back then. That's a really rich good word. Memories. That's Be- a really good word. Because I live so close to, to, to the things that are really important, also the basic needs. And the basic needs today is far away from many people. You know, mm. the houses are always warm and you're always full in the, in the belly. And I think it's life will become richer when you live closer to, 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 to the feelings and to the body. And you can just derive like that feeling of contentment from literally yeah. just fulfilling your moment to moment needs really and I guess it kind of sounds a little bit like meditation as well because you are just slowing everything is slowed down so much you want hot water it doesn't come at the switch of a kettle or something does it 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 comes from from work from so you feel I guess like if you've you've had to work for that and I suppose that's a reward in itself isn't it yeah yeah thanks and because today I, I see that so so many of us we are just consumers. That's mm-hmm. the only thing we are. We just consume things. So we live in like an urban environment and we just buy things. And you know, I think life is more than that. Life is to, to feel things in the body and in the head. And then you must 
put yourself in a situation where you can feel it. Uh, because I, I think that life will become richer if you do that. As a, as a stronger memories. Did you feel at that time, because obviously you were away from your family during those four years as well, and did, did you feel any kind of guilt at that, um, if that's the right word to use? And how did, how yeah. did, how did they respond to you being away? Oh, but you know, my mother, she was still alive. Uh, uh, and uh, I can understand that it feels a little bit egoistic to just leave her and to just put myself in that situation. But for my mother, I thought it was okay because I talk, when I talked to my mother, I know that my mother hear in my voice that Marcus was happy. And that's the most important thing for parents. And, and you know, I have treats by myself and if one of them are going to move to Australia or something uh, maybe a little bit sad but if I talk to her in the telephone and I hear in her voice that she is happy then it's okay for me as a father so and it was like that for me and my mother yeah I guess it's that thing of um if if you love someone you also have to let them go and let them yeah. become themselves don't you yeah um and you're you're more used to her emotionally as someone yeah. who is rebuilding themselves. Yeah. Do do you have like curling? Also the sport curling in in the UK? Do you know that? Where curling. you get the brushes and like polish the yes, polish yes. the and ice, people, right? Yeah. yeah. Talk, today in Sweden we talk of, of curling parents that that's nothing good, but I think it's uh, also to be a as a curling, also the number one in curling is speed and direction, and then you let the stone go away and I think to be a, a parent is like that to just give the kids speed and direction and then just let them go and hopefully they will find their own way and my mother did like that that's it was such amazing. a lovely metaphor yeah. I love that I've never heard yeah. I've never heard parenting described by curling before and but that makes complete sense yeah, yeah so you... speed and direction and uh, yeah and, and I can see that now when I am you know, now I am the same age when my mother died, 45 years old. And so now I can see all the things that my mother put inside of me. Also, and I am so grateful of that. So, yeah, it was uh, amazing, you know. I think you've got me welling up a bit. That's a really beautiful beautiful sentiment, Marcus. I'm sure she yeah. would have been... I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss with your mother yeah. as well because it sounds yeah. like you carry so much good from her yeah. in your heart and thank you yeah. so much for sharing for sharing that yeah. and you know my mother uh, even if her life were quite short but you know it was a very rich life you know <laughs> if he if she had been alive today she had been like 64 years old and she had had the 22 grandchildren you know <laughs> but so he only for herself as a saw three of them so you know so yeah many grandchildren goodness me <laughs> you know, my sister my sister she had uh, six ten kids and my other one she had like six and me <laughs> i had just three and my brother just three so you know it's a lot of kids and and with 22 kids and 18 of them are girls so it's you know yeah wow your mum passed on strong like matriarchal yeah, yeah. genes so, then didn't yeah. she yeah. <laughs> that's amazing yeah so what but point i must you... also say one thing about my mother yeah, when so when all my mother's what you say uh, so she couldn't do anything as uh, so with the body as uh, so something else become really really strong inside my mother as uh, so she become a really good listener uh, so, so so people on the island people with problem they just call my mother and then she laid in the sofa with the telephone on the air here and just listen and people as uh, so maybe four hours every day. She was so tired that it was hard for her to talk, but just to listen. And I see in my mother that that was uh, meant a lot, you know, and also for those that called her. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I, that, I, it was uh, like a big lesson for me 
Also, I learned that life is more than just do a lot of the things. You can also listen. And yeah, so... We don't do enough of it. I think people are too keen to to talk sometimes and we're not actually, we're not hearing each other. (laughs) And we live in a world where we can communicate so easily and yet somehow we're not communicating. (laughs) No, no. It's such a paradox. That's an amazing thing that she she gave to people though, to be able to listen to them. Yeah, I think so. That's really cool. Yeah. And how did your mother's when when she passed away? Was that when you decided to kind of re-enter, <laughs> re-enter yeah, kind of it, the world? Yeah, of- so it was, yeah, so it was more like this. So I had a friend that came and visited me in, in the TP, and and he he told me, Marcus, you must, so you must call your father. And then I just thought that now my mother is dead, so I ran down to the village and I called my father. My father just told me that uh, Marcus, mother is still here, but your grandfather he's dying. So if you go to, if you want to say goodbye to him, you must take the train down south. So I did that. Then I talked to my my grandfather, and me and my grandfather we were very close. And he had like been fisherman the whole life. He was not a big talker, but uh, you know, like a big hearted man. And then he told me, Marcus, what are you doing up north? I, and now now I'm going to give you an advice. And then he told me, I think the best thing for you is to find yourself a woman <laughs> and then you will marry her and then you must let her decide over you. Then life will become perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that that then, sounds like something a grandfather yeah, would say. <laughs> yeah, yes. And then he died the day after. And then just a couple of months later, I met uh, Frida, my wife. And just when I saw her, I just felt that she is the one. And she was like really hardcore in the beginning. So the first time we met just by our, ourselves, so the first time she just told me, Marcus, you cannot just live up in the, the forest and think that this is going to be something. So so if you want to, if this is going to be something, you, you must decide today. And so I did that. And then uh, we just, I leave the forest and uh, yeah. And then in that period, my mother died. Mm-hmm. So then I took the train down south and lived there for maybe two years together with Frida. And then my first kid, Signe, came and then we moved up north again. So, yeah. And how did that new, well, firstly, kind of like how, kind of, how did love sort of change you? And what did that new responsibility um, towards another person and then towards a child how did that change your relationship with kind of what a sort of a simple life should look like uh, it was uh, it was a little bit tough in the beginning because i was so used to just be by myself and to be like family life so now when i look back i'm not uh, proud of that uh, the first years because i was just into the cold and and the, the nature and to live up north with some one month old daughter and to just live in the forest. It was a little bit tough, but um, so, so it took some years for me to step into the reality and to realize that family life, you must think a little bit bigger, you know, mm-hmm. you must more holistic. Uh, so it was a little bit tough for Frida in the beginning. Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, but um, after a couple of years, we find a way that, uh, yeah, like a good mix. So now we live up north, now we have like electricity and, uh, yeah, but we still uh, must start up the, the fire in the morning. So, so I think we have like a big mix, a good mix between simple and a more uh, modern uh, home. Uh, yeah. So, and you've written your your book under the open skies to, together, haven't you? So, what yeah. does what does your life look like now? What is that balance that you've struck, and how does it enable you to both kind of connect with nature, but then also sort of function as a as a modern kind of family yeah. as well? Um, for us, so so. 
for us to live on the countryside, also it helps a lot because it's easier to live the life we want to live on the countryside. Also, also I write my books and, and Frida, she is a designer at the Volvo Cars. Mm. Uh, and she also worked for the Lotus, a UK uh, car brand. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't yes. Know. So, so, she's, so she takes the, the train down south five days every month. Mm-hmm. So, so we have like, like a, up here it's easy and we're uh, close to nature. And then we also have the connection with the, the urban life. So we try to mix that. And when we do that, life is perfect. Um, because our ambition is to live as where we live, so where the kids go to school and things like that. It's important that the environment around that is, is a little bit, uh, what you say, not so hectic. And that's why we live up north, because it's easier. If you live uh, the urban life, It's uh, of course it's possible, but not for us, because it's so easy to walk. So the, what you say, the speed is higher. So, yeah. yeah, it's easy to do to lose the head and, and, and the, the connection. So, so that's why we live up north. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I totally hear you. I mean, I still I still live in a relatively urban environment, but every time that I go to somewhere like London and you get on the tube and I just find it incredibly stressful <laughs> because yeah. there's just so much. Yes, yeah, you say everything is so high speed. And when you're yeah. used to kind of things being a bit slower, a bit quieter, it's just yeah. everything is happening and it seems yeah. like there's just too much. So, um, yeah. and I can imagine the contrast between somewhere where you where you live and like the city yeah. it must be yeah really yeah. quite overwhelming <laughs> so for us number one is where in sweden so where do we want to live and for us it was the countryside and when we decide okay up in jantland and and after that we decide okay if you're going to live here what kind of work are we going to to have you know so i think many people they do the opposite first they educate and then they find their job mm-hmm. and, and then they move to, to the area where the job are but we do more the opposite so we want to live on the countryside and and after that we decide what kind of job can we have when we live out in the forest and that's one of the big reasons why I wrote, wrote uh, write the books and yeah do the things I do because when I write I can write everywhere I can live in the in the urban life and on the countryside it's no problem but I think my, my head become a little bit clearer on the countryside so, so I think my book also for me anyway they become better books when I live here and do you think it's better for your children as well? What do they get out of that kind of upbringing? Oh, but you know, so as, as a parents, so my, so I can see, you know, the, the, the sun is, so it's dark as we know now. So that's why. Yeah, I can see it's getting darker, isn't it? <laughs> oh, but you know, so the kids there are our kids and and uh, as parents we decide and then when them they will become older they it's up to them you know we want to give them this foundation the foundation of nature and all those things and all the memories and, and then so that's just my ambition as a father mm. uh, to give them that kind of foundation uh, so yeah as so, you say, to set them off and then they can decide for yeah, themselves what they like want to curly. do. Like curling, speed the... and direction, you know, then we will see. And am I right in thinking that your that your original teepee is still quite close to the house? Is there part of you that kind of, that does sometimes crave that absolute isolation? Yeah, but, you know... When I do like public speech in Sweden, I have quite a lot of them. I always have like a sleeping bag and uh, like a reindeer skin. So when I do as around in Sweden, I always sleep on the outside. So you know, yeah. So I have a, a close connection still to that kind of life. You know, 
and my my younger daughter she really like to 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 sleep in the tent so we do that every week mm. so it's no big deal what, i just continue what does that give you do you think sleeping outside what 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 are the feelings that you get from to it? live in in a, to sleep in the winter time and when you feel the cold air in 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 the face it just gives you calm you know mm. So it's, it's um, I like that because it's um, it's um, I don't know I just love the, the feeling when I feel the cold air in, in in the face and then when I live in a warm sleeping bag it just gives me something in the body that I like and so I just continue with that yeah that's and that's, and that's I want to 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 give to my kids also. And then it's up to them to do whatever they want with that when they become older. But but when they are kids, yeah. They know what those feelings are. They've they've had those sensations in their body and they know what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like you were saying, um, I think we do live in a world where people have become desensitized to nature. Um, and do you think what do you think the solution is? to that the way that we have become uh, cut we, so it's so so if we going to save the world i think we must so every people on the planet must try to so if you're going to have like a relationship with nature you must put some some time into it mm. so you know this is my ambition that's why i write my books and do the things i do because i want to to help people to be big as yeah, so a build that relationship you know because i think life will become richer if we do because you realize that life is circular and when you realize that you know you don't worry so much you you just realize that you're going to die and if you cope with that it's like a big freedom inside uh, so, so yeah, you know, this is my ambition to help people to open up that door and to that step outside. It don't need to be a, like a big step. You can just mm-hmm. take small step. You know, if you live in London, of course you can find way out to nature. Even if you live in London, it's no problem. You must just use your head and uh, yeah. I think that's really valuable because I think quite a lot of people would be kind of like, well, I live in an inner city. What am I meant to do to kind of reconnect with nature? But there are so many ways. I mean, I think Instagram can be, (laughs) it can be its own enemy in terms of like telling people kind of what a trail run should look like or something. And actually it's just a case of finding any piece of earth and and kind of, and, and being there with it or finding some yeah. silence and being with that yeah. silence yeah. um and in the future maybe even in the in the cities maybe we will have like dark places mm. so in the night when you know no lights so people can see the stars i think things like that is 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 super important also because if you live also lay on, on in like some kind of outdoor beds in the in the open sky so it will do something with you and i think yeah so it's up to us to try to what you say to convince the, the political guys that uh, take all the decisions so so oh, you know to also build like green areas in in the city and uh, so so because the nature is so we we must have the connection with nature also because the nature is oh it's super important we cannot just live inside of four walls and a, a roof so we, we must also see trees and you know leaves and grass and things like that yeah and, the, and the, the changes of the seasons as well i think it's yeah. really important yeah. it's like we've kind of been cut yeah. off from our time our internal like clocks as well have been kind of reset by by lighting and things like that yeah. and actually we're so no i didn't have like a head uh which is lamp so for the four years i lived in the forest the only thing i had like, like um, in the night i had like a candle inside wow. just one uh, so if it was dark outside it was dark 
you know, so, so I slept maybe, also between 10 and 12 hours every night in the winter time. And, you know, I didn't feel that I going to lose something or miss something. They have FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah. I think people, they have a lot of anxiety because, but you, you, you quickly, you realize that most of the things in life you are going to miss and that's okay. Focusing on the things that is yours, you know? So, yeah. And I think to, to also take it a little bit more easy in the winter time, then you will feel a lot of energy when the spring comes. So, so, yeah, we try to live like that. Yeah, winter so is the time to rebuild. Less things in winter and then a little bit more things in the summer. Because in the summer you have a lot of energy. Mm, that's really interesting and what does I was going to ask you actually what does balance mean to you what does the word balance mean oh it's not uh, oh balance oh in Sweden we have like a word lagom have you heard about that no I haven't lagom it's, uh, it's just balance it's just not too warm not cold um and it's not easy to find the balance. Mm. And it's okay to also, what you say, to, to do too much. But then you must also do a little bit too little, you know. And, and uh, for me, it's much tougher to find balance than, than my wife because she's more balanced than me. And, and maybe that's one reason why we live up north because it's easier because nature gives me a little bit more uh, balance, you know. Mm. Sometimes it's a little bit dark. Then you must take it a little bit more easy. And then, yeah, I become stronger and then I can push a little bit more, you know. So for me, when I lived in the urban environments, you know, it's a little bit tough. It's like a big, uh, what do you say? Um, uh, Maybe I'm going to try that in the future. That maybe that's the, the toughest thing for me to do, try to learn in this city. But I really don't. Oh, I don't know. I have like a happy life here, so so I think I'm going to continue with this. I think it sounds like you're getting it right. <laughs> yeah. But do you think that you find is there still that trying to find the balance between kind of Marcus? Um, the man who lives with nature under the sky, and then Marcus, the athlete? No, not now, because um, uh, now every morning, me and my wife, we go for a, a short run, maybe 50 minutes over the, the hills and in, in the forest, and I do it with, uh, with, with Frida. I, I, so it's a little bit training, but most it's just... A thing we do together, we talk and uh, so I, I wrote my book in this uh, short uh, running uh, things in the morning with Frida. So and then in the evening I train my kids and I had like a, I train some cross country skiers and then maybe I push a little bit more. So I think I have like a good mix. But, you know, I have no ambition to, to compete and things like that. But I still run every day because I like it mm. and I love it. And it means still a lot for me because I, when my, my heart, you know, uh, pump, everything become clearer, my thought mm. and uh, my feelings. So that's why I still continue to run, I think, you know. And I want to maybe talk about that we are see too many people today their the only ambition is to compete and i think running is, is much bigger than that of course you can compete and when you are in good shape it's a wonderful feeling but you know to just run for yourself in the forest in the night so it, it's it's a different thing and it's also running you know and that you can continue until you you know until you die you know now I am 45 years old. I don't run as fast as I run when I was like 30 years old. But still, I am a runner, you know. And it means still a lot for me. That's so, such, such a valuable thing to hear, I think. And, yeah. um, and I'm so glad for you that you found that point on your journey with movement yeah. as well. It's, it's a conversation that I've had with, with myself, kind of because I 
I have some autoimmune issues that that mean that yeah. sometimes actually my body doesn't doesn't like running all that much. But then when well, I find it again, I always kind of feel like, what? Why am I competing? Like actually, yeah. I'm I run because it brings me brings me so much joy, <laughs> like, and I want to be doing that for as long as I possibly can. And um, yeah. I think it's a re- it's a difficult conversation to have with yourself, yeah. um, but. And one and one that we should be talking more about. So yeah. certainly, yeah, I think so because you know, for me, as a running is it's a big thing, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not just so. It's the same. As, I like to work, but I, I don't work only to earn money. So for me, it's bigger. As I, I of course, if my book sells, it's perfect. But uh, still, even if they don't sell, I like to write, you know, and it's the same. With running, of course, it's good to compete if you like it, but you know, it's bigger than that. And uh, you will become more motivated if you find like a bigger foundation of motivation where, why you are running. Mm. Um, so, so try to, yeah. And I try to teach the kids that are trained that, you know. So, of course, compete is okay, but even if you don't, don't compete, it can still mean lot, you know, that the food will taste good and and it's good to take a shower after a long run or to drink some warm tea after your call. So, you know, things like that. And so now in Sweden, there are a lot of uh, moose. So, so now when you you run in the night, you, you, you hear them in the forest and, you know, to come close. And sometimes you see maybe wolves or, or bear and so, you know, it's also a reason to run in the forest to just to see these amazing animals. That's incredible. I didn't know that there were moose in Sweden. So <laughs> that's... it's a lot, you know. And then you do like this, oh, oh, like uh, <laughs> it's a sound. Now in 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 November, they uh, what you say? They uh, they have like sex. I don't know the, the mating, the, mating, yes. mating. <laughs> so, so the, the bulls are like quite uh, intense. So, so now when the sun is down, just uh, a little bit light on, on the sky. <laughs> if you go out for a run and oh, ah, then you will. They will answer, and then will come closer and closer. <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing, and to to teach the the kids that and to oh. Uh, to see in their eyes when they see the the big moose, so it's amazing. That's so cool. So it's not just it's not just teaching them about kind of the skill of the of the skiing. It's actually teaching them how to interact with the world around them and listen to the world around them as yeah. well through the yeah. movement. That's so, really cool. Yeah. So so. Mm. And, and they so, know when sexy time for the moose are. So. Yeah. So they are quite intense and sometimes they can be a little bit aggressive. So you must take a little bit. Uh, so, yeah. So, and what does the future hold for you and your family, Marcus? Is there, is there uh, anything that you kind of want to achieve? Or you? I, I guess you're not really, you don't strike me as someone now who's kind of goal orientated. So what kind of, what what's happening with you at the moment and the direction you want so to go? So now, so... So we are in a good spot in life. So, so I think, yeah, so, uh, I think we are just going to continue. So, yeah, so uh, it's a little bit hard. So I don't know. So life is good. So, so and then we ask our ourselves that question. So this direction is it okay and if it's okay then we continue and if it don't feel okay then we will change and, and i think it's important that you ask yourself that questions maybe every week you know so, so for now it's okay my kids are happy and healthy and uh, yeah so we will see i'm going to do like a hardcore sailing trip to ireland next summer just be by myself so i'm really looking forward to that so from the west coast of sweden because my grandfather he was like a fisherman and, and back in the days they were outside scotland and ireland so i want to to try to what you say sail in my grandfather's footstep um, to to try to 
reconnect with the with the, the the sea because the sea is my is in my DNA. But I have lived in the forest for so many years. And back in the days, on Uckre, so my grandmother, so they did like a, what do you say wool like a wool sweater. Yeah. So yeah, back in the days they did wool. So they nothing also uh, weaving did it. weaving yes yeah, yeah. Weaving. and they had like a special uh, what would you say uh, signs in in the in, in the sweater so if the fisherman had uh, drowned and uh, if you find the, the guy in maybe two months later maybe the face was away but you can re- um, recognize the, the fisherman of the 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 signs of the, the sweat. Do you understand what to say? Yeah, yeah. That's so all. it was like um almost like a name tag kind of thing, yeah. but with a sign yeah. on the sweater. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I go into a, a small island outside the west of, of Ireland where they still do this kind of uh, like uh, sweaters or uh, wool uh, uh, things. So I go into to sail to that uh, factory to, to bring back home with my family like some uh, sign on it and to just take the, the airplane to Ireland no it's I think memories would be bigger if I take the, the sailing boat so, so that is also like a, it will be a, a new book about that and uh, yeah a little bit an uh, adventure Oh, that's so, amazing! So you'll you'll document and and write about that that yeah a voyage. I guess you can tell also the stories from the west coast and and things like that because there are so many stories that are not told yet, and I want to to, to tell them because it can uh, learn the people today a lot of things. Uh, so, so yeah. Well, that sounds like such an important trip for you to do, and you're such a gifted storyteller. So I can't wait. Yes. I can't wait to read about <laughs> this. English, my English is so you know I talk English maybe one time every year. <laughs> That's why it's, you know I had a lot of words in my head, but it's hard for my mouth to spell them. <laughs> uh, so no, them. absolutely so, yeah. perfect, and I feel I feel really honoured now that I'm your <laughs> I'm your English <laughs> quota fulfilled for the year yeah. as well yeah. i have one final question marcus yes, um what does joy mean to you joy also to be in the moment i think when i am in the moment then i am then i feel joy because when i am in the moment i am just right there i am present i don't have the my head in the future or in the, the past so so for, for me joy is to be just right now and when I am right now, I feel joy, I think. Oh, that's a perfect answer, I think, and definitely it just reflects. <laughs> your, your, your English words were great there. Yeah, <laughs> they, were, they were in the moment and just right. So thank you so much. Um, yes. If we say, we'll say a formal goodbye to the listeners and then if you just stay on the stay on the line and I'll, I'll just say cheerio as yeah. well. But Thank yeah. you so much for that, Marcus. And like the light I can see in Sweden is kind of fading as well. But yeah. um, but you are a storyteller and I've just enjoyed our conversation so much. It's given me so much to think about and, and really moved me really profoundly. Thank so you thank, for having me. Thank yeah. you. Um, I'm so grateful for the time that we've shared. Um, and I, I wish you all the best of luck um, for that for that really meaningful and important journey as well to Ireland and and with your lovely family as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.